Come on, let's open our Bibles and go to Hebrews chapter 11. I, I want to focus on a family focused on its future. And I want to try to bring out some things maybe we've never thought about in the reading of these verses. But in Hebrews 11, I'm going to read verses 17 through 22. And listen, by faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac and he that received the promises offered up his only begotten son of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from whence also he received him in a figure. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning upon the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. Now, fathers, we take the time to look into the word. I pray that you would speak to all of us. Help us to see these things clearly. Help us to see what a family can become when we understand the promises and the covenants that you've made to us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. If you notice the four specific names here, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, then you realize all of them believed in the covenant that God made with Abraham. Now, three of the four had a specific encounter with God in visions and in dreams to reveal that covenant. Three of the four individuals struggled with conception with their wives. Three of them also lived in a foreign land. But all of them had to face a famine during their lifetime. And we see that with each one of them, it was their intention for the blessing to go to their eldest son. But when you read the stories, you see God had other plans. Abraham really did love Ishmael. And it broke his heart when Ishmael was not going to be the one. But God chose Isaac. Isaac intended to bless Esau, but Jacob ended up with it. And of course, Reuben didn't end up with any blessing at all like he could have had had he walked with God. And Joseph certainly expected his oldest boy, Manasseh, to be blessed, but it went to Ephraim. Now, the thing I want you to see in all of this is that the little sentence at the end of verse 20 says that Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Each one of them saw aspects of their future through their children. That's what I want you to be able to see. Some parts of your future through your seed, through your children. God works through families and going all the way back to the book of Genesis. You know that with Adam and Eve, God was doing something great, but with them, they failed. They sinned. Cain murdered his own brother. Nevertheless, God didn't give up on the human race. He kept working through them. And when he was grieved by the sin, he did 
uh, worked through Noah and his family and God put them on the ark. And of course, they survived the flood. They came out of the ark and the Bible says Noah built uh, a vineyard vineyard. And with that vineyard, he, he tarried too long in that vineyard and got drunk and lay naked. And one of his sons went into the tent and peeked and saw dad unclothed and went and got the brothers and told him, said, you ought to see Papa. He's drunk as a skunk over there in that tent right now. And the two brothers went and got a blanket or something and they went in backwards, didn't even want to look on daddy's nakedness and covered him up. But yet God still used Noah's family to replenish the earth. And the stories in the Bible that we have are consistently about people in families that are flawed. There's only been three people that's lived perfect on planet Earth, Adam, Eve and Jesus. And Adam and Eve didn't last so long. But God still came and gave promises. God still made covenants with different people. God still used individuals uniquely despite all of the frailties and inadequacies in these families. So when we look at these four and the family that they comprise, the clan that they came to make, we begin with the question regarding Abraham. Who was this man? Well, Joshua 24 verse two says that that he came from ancestors that worship foreign gods. But yet God chose him. And God chose a man that didn't come from a godly household. Whatever your past and whatever your background, if you were not raised in a godly, holy environment, I want you to know God can still do great things through you. You walk with God. It's never about where you came from, but it is always about where you're going. If your past is more glorious than your present and your past is better than you think your future will ever be, you've already backslidden in your mind. You need to know that your latter days can always be greater than your former days. So who was this man, Abraham? He lived amongst idols. He lived with paganism in every direction. But yet he was a man that heard the voice of God and he received several promises from God. Now, here's the model. Typically in the Bible, if God comes to you and you receive a promise or promises, Right after you receive the promise, you're then going to have to face some problems. But if you persevere and continue trusting and believing in God, you'll find that despite the presence of the problems, God will continue to bring provisions. In studying Abraham's life from Genesis 12 right on up to the sacrifice of, of Isaac, he had at least nine other tests. That he had to deal with. The first test was when he heard the voice that said, leave the land in which you were born and go to a place I'll show you. That's the first test. Could you do that? Could you walk away from your family? Could you walk away from the environment that you found to be your comfort zone? Could you turn your back on everything that has been sure and secure in your life in order to walk with God? That was a test. He left. The second thing that happened, he left Ur and then he went north. His father died and then he came south with thousands of head of cattle. And when he got into his land of promise, there was a famine. What would you do? Some people will say, you know, if you're walking with God, everything will just fall in line. Well, it depends on what you mean by fall in line. If you start walking with God, sure enough, every devil you can think of will fall in line to stand in opposition to you. 
But there's nothing in the Bible that says just because you're obeying God, it's going to be easy. There will be times things will fall in line and you won't have a lot of obstructions. There will be other times you'll just run into one challenge after another. It's a test. But what did Abraham do in the midst of the famine? Rather than staying in the land that God promised to him, he had a thought, I'll go to Egypt. Many people do that. During times of frustration, they make the worst decisions. Because he went to Egypt, he almost lost his wife who was abducted. Yeah, that was his third test down there in Egypt. But then when his nephew was taken captive, he had to go and battle the four kings with 318 men. And then here comes the fifth test. He wants a baby so bad that in talking with his wife, his wife comes up with a great idea and says, look, if God says we're going to have seed and we're going to have children, he's going to multiply us. We need to help him. And she takes her maid and brings him to Ab- brings her to Ab- brings him to Abraham, I should say. And when Abraham sees her, he thinks to himself, OK, I- I'll go through with this. And because of that, Ishmael comes on the scene. And he spent the rest of his life having to deal with Ishmael. And up until the days of Paul in the book of Galatians, he talks about how Ishmael's seed and Isaac's seed still don't mingle So well, how many Ishmael's do you have in your life because of the different tests that you went through and the decisions that you made during the time of testing? Well, the sixth test Abraham had to deal with was when God came to him in his old age, when when Ishmael was a teenager and the Lord said to Abraham, I want you to circumcise yourself and your son. That's a test. Yeah, those crude Tools and instruments they had in ancient times, they didn't have the processes of sterilization that we have in our medical environments. But you know what Abraham did in his old age? He went right out there and circumcised himself, told his boy, get on over here. We've got to obey God. He passed the test again. Then, of course, in the land of the Philistines, the king of Gerar wanted Sarah And then that big one after Ishmael was older and Abraham loved him and it trained him and it walked with him. Sarah said, look, I'm not getting along with Hagar. Ishmael doesn't seem to be in love with with Isaac. You have to send them away. And the Bible says this thing was grievous in the eyes of Abraham. And God saw how Abraham's heart was breaking. And he went to Abraham and said to him, you can go ahead and send them away. And you need to know I'm going to look after them and bless them. Abraham gave them some bread, some raisins, maybe some money, skin of water, and off into the desert, Hagar and her son wandered. Now, all of those situations were tests. And if you look back in your life, you'll find a series of tests that you've had to go through. What kind of decision did you make when you faced each trial? If Abraham had not handled all the previous tests in a manner in which would please God, there'd be no way he'd be ready for Genesis 22, verse one. Take the son that you love and go to a mountain that I'll show to you. See, everything leads up to something bigger, sometimes something greater. The smaller things are in preparation to get us ready for what God wants to do in our future. But we rarely see our future through the tests we're facing in the present. That's what Abraham had to deal with. 
He had the promises. He had the problems. Then God provided the provision. So presently, whatever test that you are facing right now, you've got to understand that even though each test is of an entirely different character, God is still trying to prepare you for your future, your destiny in what he wants to do through you. So this this whole future clan now This tribe connected with Abraham is tied to Isaac. And now God says to Abraham, take Isaac and offer him to me. And Abraham knows that all of his children and his future seed is bound up in that boy. But he's got to take that future and he's got to put that on an altar because that's what God wanted for him. And he prayed and interceded for this baby. In fact, Romans chapter four, verse 20 says it this way. He believed and he staggered not at the promise. God told him he would have a child and Abraham did not consider the dead aspects of his physical body. Neither did he contemplate the deadness of Sarah's womb in their old age. But in trusting that God's word was true, he believed it would come to pass. And it did. Now, now that's an interesting thing, because God said to Abraham, take the boy that you love and you wander out here in the wilderness. And I tell you, when you've gotten to the mountain, I want you to use. So three days journey out there into the desert place. And then you've got mountain peaks everywhere. And then God said that mountain right there is where I want you to sacrifice Isaac. What kind of a word is that? Pagans sacrifice their kids. Why would God come to him with a word that sounds like it would be the voice from another religion? But God looked at Abraham and in the midst of this test, he already knew what was in Abraham when he spoke to Abraham. But God very often has to speak to us and deal with us in a way that will reveal to us who we are. We don't always know who we are. I've met plenty of people believe they have strong faith until they hit a certain trial. There are certain kinds of pains that make a whole lot of people wobble in their faith. There are other people who stand up strong in their faith. But God spoke to Abraham and he let him know that what he loved, what brought him great joy, the boy that would lead to the magnification of his name in all of the earth. I want him put on that altar. That had to be heartbreaking for Abraham with every step that he took. How could you do that? I mean, would you really if if you heard from God, would you really have taken your firstborn child and went to the top of a mountain and prepared to sacrifice that child? Abraham was about to. Abraham had set things in motion in order to accomplish this. And I'm sure some of you in the process of raising your own kids, when 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 they hit their teenage years, you probably had a couple of thoughts where you, you wish you could find a mountain somewhere. And and, and maybe you, you, you probably would have tried to do something like that. But but in this instance here. Abraham goes to the top of the hill and let's never forget the conversation that he had with Isaac when he was down there with the servant. He told the servant, you stay here. The lad and I are going yonder to worship. And they gave the firewood to Isaac. He started carrying that up the hill. And I'm sure he's thinking to himself, we've done this plenty of times, daddy. Where's the sacrifice this time? But you know what dad told him? God to provide himself around. They got to the top of that hill. And 
They built it up, that altar. And then God says to Isaac when it's all over, okay, son, I love you. I know you love me. Lay down here. And can you believe he did? He laid on that altar. And dad bound him hand and foot. And just when that knife was ready to penetrate that young man's heart, then all of a sudden there's a voice that comes from the distance. It says, now I know you love me more than you love that boy. Abraham, lift your eyes and see in those bushes over there. He looked, there's a ram, horns caught there in that thicket, and that was the sacrifice. And Mr. Isaac rolled on off that altar with his life saved. And that man that got off the altar was different than the one that laid down on the altar. That's what this verse is saying to us at the end of verse 19, that he received him in a resurrection type of figure. Now, you know what's interesting to me in all of this, though? Verse 19 says of Abraham that he believed God was able to raise him from the dead. Up until this particular event in the Bible, I have not been able to find where anything had been raised from the dead. Not an animal, not a person. Hadn't found anything. In fact, there's not even a whole lot of talk in those early chapters of Genesis about a resurrection from the dead. But yet, Abraham has come to the conclusion in his mind that even though he's never experienced it, even though he's never heard about it, God is still able to do it. Now, that's a person with faith. That you can believe that God can do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think. You may not have ever experienced it or even heard about it, but that does not mean God cannot do it. And Abraham believed, you see. Here was a man that believed in the raising of the dead before the raising of the dead ever truly happened in a physical way. What do you believe in God for? What are you trusting God for? And when you think about your life and you think about your family, what is it that you consider to be of such importance that you need the power of God to fall on it in order for it to come to pass? Now, you could very well be in a season of your life where you're not praying for the things you would have prayed for or were praying for in your 20s, 30s, 40s and 50s. But you can always find an opportunity or reason for God to do something miraculous. But trust and believe. And so Abraham knows that when he puts that boy on that altar, the next generations are laying on that altar with them. And I don't know what he said to Isaac, but I think he, he probably would have said something along these lines. Son, there's no way on this earth I'm leaving this hilltop without you. If he believed God could raise him from the dead, he honestly, <clears throat> honestly believed that if you lose your life here on this hill, I'll die here. There's no way I'm leaving this mountaintop without you. He believed God could raise his son from the dead. So this man, Isaac, who grew up, you can see that he had a very interesting experience in his youth. Now, he, he, was, a, he was a very submitted and very yielded soul. Now, why do you say that? Well, because <clears throat> he laid down there on that altar when I know I probably would not have laid down on that altar if my dad told me to do that. That's why I say he is a very yielded soul. And you'll remember when 
it was time for him to get married. His father arranged his marriage with a woman he had never met, with a woman he had never seen. And when Rebecca came from Mesopotamia and got off that camel and came coming to where he was, he received her into his tent. She became his wife and he never complained, murmured or anything regarding daddy's choice for him. That's a man that was very submitted to his father's will. But we also know. That Isaac, during the time of famine, he wanted to do like his father and go to Egypt. But God came to him in a vision and said, absolutely not. You stay right here in the land of the Philistines. He stayed there. And the men in leadership in that land saw his wife and said, we'd like to have her. And they were ready to take his wife like they took Sarah. But in that lust filled environment, he started redigging the wells that had been plugged up from his father's day. He didn't spend his time running with the Philistines. He spent his time trying to redig them wells that had been dug once before. That's a man that was submitted not only to his natural father, but also to his spiritual father. And by the time he gets older and he's starting to go blind and he's unable to see, he knows that his days are short. And he says to Esau, you're my oldest boy. I want to bless you now before I die. And. He said, you know how much I enjoy venison and I love how you make that savory gravy to go with that meat. You go out there, find something, trap it, bring it back, prepare it. I'm going to eat it with you. I want to have that before I pass away. Rebecca was standing nearby and heard what Isaac said to Esau. And she ran to Jacob and said, look, your brother's about to get the blessing that I want you to have. So you are going to take this food that I'm going to prepare and you're going to take it to your father and we're going to fix you up so that you're as hairy as your brother. Now do everything you can. Don't try not to talk now. But when you get into the presence of your dad, just let him touch you and feel on you because he can't see anymore and he's totally governed by those senses. So let him just touch you and you'll receive that blessing. And that's exactly what he did. He went in there. He prepared that platter. I mean, he laid that deer out there. I don't know what else was out there. Antelope, elk. I don't know what all he put on there and had it there. And and Isaac, even though he couldn't see, he could smell. He's salivating. Oh, he said, my boy. Has brought my food and he ate that food. And then he said, now, now Esau, come, come close to me because I want to bless you now. And, And when he got there, Jacob opened up his mouth and and Isaac reached out and touched him. And he said, I feel like this is is Esau, but it's the voice of Jacob. Now, you would have thought that had been enough to just stop the whole thing. That's not what happened at all. Isaac took Esau, believing Excuse me, to Jacob, believing it was Esau, and then gave him a great, great blessing. And Jacob was happy. Well, Esau comes in from the field, prepares his meal, brings it in there to daddy. Daddy's already full. Daddy's already eaten. And daddy hears Esau's voice and horror comes over Isaac because he now knows what he's done, but he cannot take it back. See? He cannot take back that blessing. And I love how it says Esau basically in agony and anguish began to cry out, God or, or, or father, isn't there but one blessing, one that you have for me? And Isaac said to his son, I've already made your brother his, your Lord, but 
I can bless you. And he laid his hands on him and blessed him. And, and he told him, you're going to have dominion one day. And when you get so big and so strong, you're going to break the yoke of your brothers off of your neck. Now, it's interesting when you look at Genesis chapter 27 and read the blessings of both of them, there were some similarities. God used Isaac to tell them both that the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth would belong to both of them. But for Jacob, the blessing was you'll be lords over your brother and the nations will bow down to you. But for Esau, he ended up telling him, you're going to be under the dominion of your brother until you get so big that you're going to break his yoke off of your neck. Now, the blessing typically went to the firstborn, as I've told you. So how angry do you think Esau was? He was mad. And he starts saying, is he not aptly named? Because he tricked me out of the birthright. And now he's deceived daddy into giving him the blessing. I want to kill my own brother. And he started vocalizing it, telling it around the village in different places. No sooner than daddy is in the grave. When the days of mourning are over. I'm taking a knife to my brother Jacob's throat. I'm killing him. And Rebecca, because she had them big ears, she heard that too. She went to Isaac and said, look, I really don't think we ought to let Jacob hang around here long enough to do like Esau and marry some of them Ishmaelite girls. I think we need to send him back to where I'm from. And that'll work out better. So he said, do whatever is in your heart. And so she came to Jacob and she said, look, your brother wants to kill you and you need to get out of here as fast as you can before he takes your life. He packs his bag. He runs out into the wilderness and you know how he had the vision of the ladder from earth to heaven. But here's the thing. These two brothers are on two totally different paths. They both receive the blessing from their father. Their father has spoken concerning their future and their end. But they're on two different paths. One is on a pathway to bitterness. The other is on the pathway to fear. Because remember, when Jacob left home, he was afraid. And when Jacob came back home, he was still afraid. When Esau saw what happened, he wanted to kill his brother. He was murderous and angry. But during the decades, notice how God worked on Esau's heart so that by the time Jacob came back and all of those gifts were coming to him from Jacob's entourage, Esau's heart had melted. So I'm telling you that to show you that two people can be so different in character, yet flawed, but yet still receive blessings from God. And despite all of their flaws, they can still walk right into the things that God has promised them. So whatever your life, whatever my life, whatever deficiencies we see in our own life, if we have a heart that's pure before God, you'll move into what God has promised you. Just keep trusting God. Keep believing God. All those years, Jacob lay there in a foreign country, believing that his brother still hated him. And then in a foreign country, discovering that they were deceivers there also. He fell in love with a beautiful girl named Rachel. Thought he was going to end up with Rachel. His father-in-law changed his salary ten times. Promised him the girl that he never wanted to really give him, but ended up giving him the girl he didn't want, and he ended up with two, Leah and Rachel. 
And come to find out on the wedding night, he thought it was Rachel, but it was really Leah. But both of them knew what was taking place. Daddy knew what was taking place because he arranged it. Jacob, who had deceived his brother, fled from his brother, went to Mesopotamia, only to discover that his mother, who was a deceiver back home, comes from a whole clan of deceivers. His uncle Laban was a liar. He married two women that were deceivers. Even when he ran away from his father-in-law, Rachel stole her daddy's gods and put them there in the caravan. What kind of a family is this? But yet they're a family mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. You see my point? Despite the problems, the issues, God still uses them. A lot of these things that took place in the book of Genesis and that we have recorded in Hebrews chapter 11 would prevent many people from access to a whole lot of pulpits today. But God wrote them up as people of faith. People of faith. Yeah. It's interesting. But 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 God looked beyond Jacob's deceitful character and God saw what Jacob could become. That's what this is all about. The blessing there. He looked beyond all of that. And, and we need to be. <clears throat> the same way because <clears throat> the scripture is about looking beyond a person's past. Barnabas knows that Saul used to be a Pharisee and used to imprison and hurt Christians. But Barnabas brings Saul to the disciples and he says to them, this man has changed and we should bring him into relations with us. Peter t- says to Jesus, all these other people will deceive you and betray you, but never me. And Jesus said, before you hear that rooster crow, you're going to betray me. And that's what Peter did. He betrayed the Lord. The Bible says he went out and wept bitterly. A few days later, Jesus comes to Peter and and Peter and all of that brokenness. Jesus says to Peter, nothing about the betrayal. He says, Peter, do you love me? Three times. Peter got irritated by the third time. But each time the Lord followed up the question with this, feed my sheep. You know what he said? Despite what you've done to me, it did hurt me, but I'm over it. And I still have work for you to do. You're forgiven. Feed my sheep. Are you like that? Are you willing to promote a Peter or somebody who has failed God? Are you willing to to look beyond somebody's faults in order to be a blessing to people? Or are you the kind of person that has a ministry of nitpicking? And out of all the works of the flesh, the only gifts that manifest in your life are the gifts of suspicion and the gifts of criticism. Well, I suspect that so-and-so is doing, I'm not really sure, but I suspect that they're doing this and that they're guilty of it. And if you ever find out that they're guilty of it, then you really get critical of them then. I told you, I told you, I sensed it, I knew something was wrong. Yeah, I bet you did. Yeah, I'm sure you did. Well... In this instance here, I'm glad that Jacob was a man that God saw in the end. And that's what we need God to do for us. We need him to look beyond who we are, because when Jacob got older, Genesis chapter 48, verse one says he got older and he's laying there and he's sick and he's about to die. And so Joseph says, you know what? If daddy's going to leave here to go to heaven pretty soon, I want to get my boys over there so daddy can get his hands on them and bless them. Because that was powerful in a Middle Eastern setting uh, to have people's hands laid on you. That's why the parents took their babies to Jesus and he took them up in his arms and blessed them. There's something beautiful about laying hands on children and people to bless them. 
So that's what they did. And Joseph said, OK, boys, get ready. We're going to see grandpa. And they did. They, they got there. The grandpa, his tent or wherever he was. And the scripture says when Joseph walked in, Jacob looked at him, pushed himself up, strengthened himself and his spirit revived. Because he was excited to see him. You ever been so happy to see somebody that puts a smile on your face and even if you were tired, all of a sudden you get a burst of energy and a second wind because they've come to see you. A friend that you knew from high school you hadn't seen in 20 years. A neighbor that you used to be close to that moved away, but now they've come back for Husker days or something. Or maybe a family reunion that you've had. But there's times when people come into your life again and you see them and you're excited about it. That's how Joseph made Jacob feel. But there are also people who probably come into your presence and your countenance falls. Now, it shouldn't be that way. You should be bigger and stronger than anybody that comes into your world, despite how they act. But but I'm sure there's some people you just on the inside. You see Uncle Charlie coming nearby your table at the family reunion. You're thinking, oh, my goodness, what is this going to be like today? Yeah. But Jacob strengthened himself. And of course, Joseph wanted the blessing for his his boys. And so he saw the way daddy was sitting That right hand is the strong hand, the dominant hand, the hand of blessing. That's what the Bible speaks of, the right hand of the throne of God and the mighty outstretched right arm of God. The left hand being the less dominant one. And so Joseph positioned his boys so that on Joseph's left, but on Jacob's right would be Manasseh, the firstborn. And then on Joseph's right, but Jacob's left would be Ephraim, the younger one. And when he shoved them into the presence of Jacob, Jacob's ready to confer a blessing on them. And he knows what God has told him. So when he reaches his hands, uh, he does the old switcheroonie. And he switches his hands like this. And when he does that, Joseph said, oh, no, you got to give the blessing to my oldest boy. And Jacob had to let Joseph know God's bigger. And he has a plan that's greater than anything you and I know anything about. And he laid those hands on both those boys and conferred a blessing and spoke life into all of them. And I think that gives us a beautiful example of how you do not need to know all of God's intentions. Joseph did not understand what God was doing. And there will always be aspects of the Christian life. And you'll wonder why it is. That certain people receive a word or a promise, and it's not the one you expected to receive the word or the promise. Just because people have troubles and pain, that doesn't mean they're special to God. Everybody goes through trials. But this does teach us how to bless people because you bless people in accordance with the covenant. So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and Joseph all received a covenant. Abraham, Isaac and, and Jacob all received visions regarding what God had promised them. The land, their seed, the multiplication, a great name going down into Egypt. All of them believed in that covenant. And for that generation in the future to enjoy the blessings of the promises and the covenant, they've got to embrace the covenant. And we've got to have our children believe the things that we believe so that there will be a next generation. So it's important for every child, every teenager, every young adult to have their own personal experiences with God so they don't have to rely on mama and daddy's testimony. 
They need to know God for themselves. They need to be confronted by God themselves. They need to be in the presence of God and know what it is to weep and to sense his anointing and not just have to hear stories about it. That's what made Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and Joseph different. I've seen preachers that have told me, well, God gave me a word Uh, Years ago that all of my kids would serve with me in the ministry and in our church. And I've watched the kids get older and none of them have anything to do with God or the church. What's in your heart, if you believe it's a promise from God, you've got to get it in them. You've got to get it in them. And God is the only one that that can help you uh, see that and help that to occur. But the reality of it has to become a reality to them. And once you've received a promise from God, that determines your trajectory. Now, understand this. God promised Abraham, Isaac and Jacob a specific parcel of land in the Middle East. He never one time said anything to them about going into Europe or Africa, or eastward toward India. Abraham and his seed stayed in that one region, and they never changed, and never altered their course. You must know what God is saying to you. And even if other people come to you with a different word, you cannot change. If somebody comes to you with other insight, and they say God's changing your course, if God hadn't changed his promises to you, and told you, and spoken to you, you better stay where you are. I'm telling you, it's important. And this is what they did. I don't know how many times I've had people try to lure me away from Nebraska to go here, to go there, take this church and all of that. But but I always knew what God said to me about being out here as a minister in the rural parts of the center of America. I've known what he said to me, so I never changed. Good friend of mine had a church down in Richardson, Texas, 400 people. He called me and said, Brother Darrell, I'm getting sick and I'm not feeling well. And I believe if you come down here and take this church, it'll be a good time of transition. I said, Brother, I can't do it. I can't even pray about it. God has told me to be here. A year later, he had a heart attack and died. Yeah. Turned it over to somebody else. Church doesn't even exist anymore. Another friend of mine called me from Kansas City, said, Daryl, if you come down here, we're getting ready to retire. If you come take this church, it's a good church. I believe God will bless you down here. He said, there are 400 people down here waiting on you. They'd love for you to come. If you and Tiffany would just come, I said, I can't even pray about it. I said, I already know what God's told me. I can't leave here. I got to be here. When, when Dr. Hilton Sutton over and over again telling us, come travel with us, please just do it full time. Just work with us. Be gone. We'll travel and go to all of these different places and different churches. I said, Pops, I can't leave. I've got to be here. God told me here in the heartland, I've got to pastor and minister God's word. See, if you don't know what God has told you to do, you'll instantly and easily be deceived. You'll just follow every cloud, every doctrine. Every little every little prophecy that comes along because you're not secure in what God has told you. And whether you have a famine or whether you have abundance, the covenant is going to work. Doesn't matter where you are. I've told you before, by that time, Tiffany and I sat in that church up in Hastings. And they had these TBN singers up there. And they got to the end of that message and they wanted to all of a sudden go to give them words of knowledge to everybody. Tiff and I, of course, sitting in there and he's telling people, stand up, all of this. And so finally, 
he, he gets to where he calls me. And of course, Tiffany could see I, I, I was I looked at her. She could see I was not in the mood for this. And she just kind of grabbed my kneecap like she typically does and kind of caresses it. Just calm down, Daryl, calm down. And, and so I, I went on and stood up. And, and when I stood up, the prophecy to me was God just spoke to me and told me to tell you to leave whatever you're doing. Move here and do nothing but support this lady in this church. That was the prophecy. Now, had I followed that prophecy. I'd have walked away from Revival Tabernacle. I'd have walked away from this church. Never would have went to Friend. Never would have went to Hayes to go to a church that shut down nine months later after that prophecy came forth. You better know God. And you better understand what God has promised you so that you're not deceived. If you're going to bless people in the manner that Jacob blessed his kids and his grandkids, you've got to understand individual covenants and promises and bless them according to that. See, according to that. So I I always knew that we would travel because I had a traveling ministry before I came here. But the night Tiffany and I were married, before we ever made it to our honeymoon destination, we were in that at hotel room and the spirit of God came on me and I began to prophesy to her about her song ministry and singing around the world. See, the night we were married. And with and without microphones and speaker systems, with and without mechanized equipment, she sung all across this nation and around the world traveling with me. But always knew the covenant and the promises that God had with me. So she was entering into the covenant promise God had made to me. You need to know that when you're trying to minister the word of God to somebody. You need to know the covenants and know the promises that God has made. And if you do, you can minister an edifying word to somebody. See, You can minister an encouraging word to somebody. But when you don't know those kinds of things, there's no telling what you may end up saying to somebody. Jacob ministered to his kids and Isaac ministered to his kids because they were able to see things that were coming in the future. Now, in the end, in wrapping this up with Joseph, you can see in verse 22, Joseph knew that he wasn't going into the promised land and that he would likely be dead first. And he died when he was 110. But he knew that Israel would be visited by God sometime in the future. And as the scripture tells us, he died, he was embalmed, and they put him in a coffin. Now, I don't know where they kept him or preserved him, but I do know he said to his children, so that they could tell their children, and they could tell the future generations, when you leave Egypt, because you are going to leave, But when you leave Egypt, you're to take my bones and remains with you to the promised land. And you know what Exodus 13 verse 19 says? The night that that angel came through there and the firstborn were dying all across Egypt and things were fine wherever the blood was. When Pharaoh said, everybody, get out. Don't stay here another five minutes. Moses, first thing he said was, somebody get Joseph's bones. And them bones marched right out of Egypt. With all of the Israelites, when they passed through the Red Sea, Joseph's bones were right there with them. You see how important it is to have some kind of vision of your future, to be able to 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 see aspects of what your name can become and what your family can become in the future. If you get the covenant of God and the promises of God in their life. 
Some of you right now are living testimonies of your grandparents who trusted God and prayed a hundred years ago. Yeah. If you had the advantage of growing up with Christian parents, you ought to praise God every day. Every day. I didn't have that. Some of you in here didn't have that. I don't have stories of a mom and dad reading the Bible to me and all of that. None of that. Any stories like that. But when you do have uh, history like that, memories like that, you have advantages that other people don't have. But if you don't use those advantages the right way, somebody else who grew up a derelict without God, the way I did, they can come into Christ and after one year have more of God than you ever had, simply because you take it for granted. Mm-hmm. And I've seen plenty of people who didn't grow up in a godly home after two or three years in God. They got more of Jesus and Jesus has more of them than some people that were raised in a Sunday school. Yeah. So all I'm saying is, as long as the Lord tarries and God is doing one visitation after another throughout the body of Christ around the world, visiting with different people and the power of God in manifestation, lives being changed in different places. Just always have your seed prepared for their part in that. Yeah. To be ready, because who knows how we're going to affect another generation. One man, see the promise. Look how many millions of Jewish people there are on the planet right now that love Abraham. And of those that love Abraham, look at how many of them are born again and love Jesus. Yeah, let's stand. I want us all to be families that are focused on the future in that regard. And if I could offer a final, final thought. You know, somewhere in your past, you probably have had some moments where you really felt like God was talking to you about your family. Maybe you're reading a verse in the Bible or something like that. Maybe you had a dream. I don't know. But if you have kids, grandkids not serving God, hold on to the verse that lets you know God's not only able to save you, but he can save your household. And and remember, Abraham believed in a miracle that he had never heard of even happening. Do you think God could really reconcile your family, do a miracle in your life and bring people into your life that you want? Even when they have said they don't want to see you or people have walked away from God in church and said, never again. Well, I involve myself with Christianity. We can believe God for miracles. Yeah. So, Father, right now. Having heard the word of God and listened to what the scripture says, I'm praying That each one of us, Lord, would be able to conceive of the kind of supernatural activity you can do, even though we may have never experienced it before. I pray for every family that's in here right now, God. Every child, every grandchild, every great grandchild represented. And I'm praying that in the years to come, Lord, so long as you tarry, that you would allow them to be used as a blessing and as an instrument in the kingdom of God to reach multitudes of people. For the ones that are out there in the world and wayward and straying and turning to the left and to the right. Lord, I'm praying that you remove their eyes from the distractions and get their eyes back on that cross and that empty tomb and the throne of God. Father, we're believing you for the mighty. We're not thinking small in here this evening. We're believing you for something strong and audacious. 
You said the righteous would be bold as a lion. So, Father, thank you for using people like us. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen, Amen, Amen.